In 1889, a young Dutch painter checked into a French psychiatric hospital um, because he battled his whole life um, serious bouts of depression and schizophrenia. And while he was in this hospital for two years, he painted over 800 paintings and 2,000 drawings. So he was busy. And one of those paintings included his magnum opus, Starry Night. Uh, Vincent van Gogh painted a village. You've seen this painting, I'm sure, many times. We tend to look up at the stars and the starry sky, of course. Um, but right in the middle, there's houses and buildings all aglow, except for one, right in the middle. The church wasn't lighting up the darkness to Vincent van Gogh. You see, before he was a painter, van Gogh spent three years as a missionary, a Christian missionary. And his mission work was very successful. Um, but even though he was a very successful missionary, his church rejected his desire to be a pastor because of his mental disorders. And so he left the church altogether embittered and impoverished. I wish they only would take me as I am, he said in a letter to his brother. And while he never abandoned his faith in Christ, perhaps his story wouldn't have ended in tragedy if the church had insisted on loving him rather than rejecting him. And perhaps so many wouldn't have left the church in our day for the very same reason. We must love one another or die. The final line of a W.H. Auden poem is the name of our sermon series in 1 Corinthians as we lead, uh, make our way towards Easter during the season of Lent. And we're doing a deep dive into uh, 1 Corinthians 13, which you may have heard at every wedding ever, um, this passage. And we're, we're taking kind of a slow, patient look at what the Bible teaches us about the nature of love. We've seen that we hear of a love that's, that's patient and kind, that doesn't envy or boast. And that's what we looked at the first few weeks. And last week, Patrick helped us to understand something about love, that it moves beyond caricaturing God or other people or even ourselves, that we don't have distorted versions or visions of other people. And today, we're going to look at and see that love does not insist on its own way. And put positively, love is altruistic. It seeks to live and practice a selfless love. Two angles by which we'll explore this aspect of love. Why it's so doggone hard to love like this, to love selflessly, and how it can become easier. Why it's hard and how it can become easier. With these uh, two things in mind, please stand uh, for the reading of God's Word. And if you're at home, don't worry, it's not Zoom, so we won't see your pajamas or anything. Um, so let me read this for us. From Philippians 1, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Love does not insist 
on its own way. You may be seated. This is the word of the Lord. So biblical love does not insist on its own way. That's, that's why it's so hard. Other translations are really helpful too, that love is not self-seeking. The NIV says that. Love isn't always me first. Love does not demand its own way. And love is not selfish. Uh, I want to see a show of hands. Any fans of the sitcom The Good Place? Anybody? Anybody seen it? There's like one of us, two of us. All right, well, you're missing out. This is a great show. Um, it's, it's really funny and uh, very philosophical. It's kind of like the Seinfeld of the late 2010s. So definitely recommend it if you like Seinfeld at all. Um, but the basic plot is centered around uh, the afterlife, this afterlife. And um, people are sent to the good place or the bad place based on their moral performance on earth. And Eleanor Shellstrop, who's played by Kristen Bell, she's the main character, and she is welcomed to the good place after she dies. And you quickly find out, don't worry, I'm not spoiling the whole show or anything, but this is the basic plot. Um, you quickly find out that she was sent there on accident because she was, let's just say, um, a most self-centered person and so the, the whole point of the show is her trying to learn, to, well, first she hides her past. She doesn't want to be found out. And she, she wants to learn to become a good person so she can earn her place in the good place. And so she, she, she tries to, to learn through the help of Chidi, her friend, who is played by William Jackson Harper, who was a moral uh, philosopher when he was on earth. Um, and so I want you to watch this short scene a good place. It's time to make me good, partner. How do we do it? Is there a pill I can take or something I could vape? Where did you get a chalkboard? It's the good place. You can get anything you want at any time. And you chose a chalkboard? What are you reading? The Metaphysics of Morals by Immanuel Kant. It's a treatise on the aesthetic preconditions of the mind's receptivity to duty. It's a book on how to act good. Oh, great. So you've decided to help me. I don't know. There's a thousand questions. Is there a moral imperative to help you? Do I have a greater obligation to my community? Are you taking someone else's spot? Someone who deserves to be here? Please help me, man. I swear I am worth it. Tell me one fact that you know about me. We spent the whole day together. You must remember something. What country am I from? Is it racist if I say Africa? Yes. And Africa is not a country. I am from Senegal. Do I have any siblings? Where did I go to college? Trick question. You didn't. I was literally a college professor. Do you not remember one single thing about me? Dude, things have been nuts around here. I bet you don't know anything about me. You were born in Phoenix. You went to school in Tempe. You're an only child. Your favorite show is something called The Real Housewives of Atlanta. And your favorite book is Kendall Jenner's Instagram feed. How did you know all that? Because you are constantly talking about yourself. You are the most self-obsessed person I've ever met. You should see Kendall Jenner's Instagram feed. Hey, this is my fear about you, Eleanor. You are too selfish to ever be a good person. Well, I think you're wrong. What country am I from again? Sensodyne. That is a brand of toothpaste. Look, the only thing that you are concerned with 
is your own happiness. That's your problem. I told you you should watch it. It's really funny. So as you could see just in that little clip, uh, Eleanor is extremely selfish, right? Her, she's only concerned with her own happiness. And, you know, sitcom characters are funny because often they're very self-absorbed and we laugh. But one of the reasons why we laugh is because it might make us feel a little bit better about ourselves, right? Because we're not always, uh, always so kind of making it all about us, right? And, but I want you to notice something that, that Paul uh, doesn't say. Paul doesn't say that love um, doesn't insist on its own way unless you're really tired or had a bad week. Again, Paul is saying that love is altruistic, which is the belief in or practice of disinterested love or selfless concern for another. And the Bible is clear from page really early on throughout that our inner disposition is just like Eleanor's, although we may be a little bit better at hiding it. Like Patrick reminded us last week, even our good actions, right, doing good for things, doing good things for people, uh, giving to the poor perhaps, um, saying a nice word to someone, that can often really be about us, if we're honest. It can be about our perception to look good or to feel good. And so we can even come to the Bible or to church, perhaps, like Eleanor, and ask that question, what do I need to do in order to be good? And though it may work for a while, you might hear a really great sermon from Patrick or a, you know, a beautiful song from Sarah Groves, but the religious buzz eventually wears off. And if you have kids, it's like five seconds after you leave church. You're like, wow, I'm already selfish again. And we can fall back into this part-time altruism. Or we can just abandon it altogether. The philosopher Bertrand Russell was raised a Christian uh, in a Christian home, though he later left the faith. And he was very familiar with Christian ethics. And he said this in one place, the Christian principle, love your enemies is good. There is nothing to be said against it except that it is too difficult for most of us to practice sincerely. Have you ever thought that about any of the teachings of the Bible, including love does not insist on its own way? Let me say this. Bertrand Russell was 100% correct. He was right. It's all too easy to inject our own opinions into every conversation to seek attention, and to have an agenda. And so should we just throw in the towel on this part of the Bible? Should we just kind of, like Benjamin Franklin, just kind of redact the Bible, this part? Love does not insist on its own way. Scratch. Well, yes and no. And hear me out. Another philosopher, Christian philosopher, named Dallas Willard, helped me to see something about this passage and and really about the moral vision of the New Testament. And I want to share it with you. He asked this. Is it then hard to do the things that Paul says love does? It is very hard indeed if you have not been substantially transformed in the depth of your being, in the intricacies of your thoughts, 
your feelings, assurances, and dispositions in such a way that you are permeated with love. Once that happens, then it is not hard. What would be hard is to act the way you acted before. Bertrand Russell is right. It's too hard to love left to ourselves. But when our inner life is permeated with the love of God, it spells judgment on a life centered on the self. This is how selflessness becomes easier. And let's turn there now. How it becomes easier. In Luke 19, a um, very famous story about a wee little man um, who was very self-centered. And he came into contact with Jesus, and something happened to him. In just a few short verses, this self-centered man became a most generous and loving one, simply because of his encounter with Jesus. A little bit about Zacchaeus. Yeah, he was, he was we, but he was a chief tax collector for Rome. And so his fellow Jews rejected him, hated him because of what he represented. He represented the oppression of Rome on the people of Israel. And uh, he would skim some of the tax off the top for himself. So it wasn't just that he represented, he wasn't just symbolic, he was very greedy and unrighteous. And so he was hated and rejected. So what did Jesus say to him that made all the difference? Did he say, Zacchaeus, you got to stop being selfish, man. Come on, you know better. You know the scriptures. No, he didn't say that. Did he say, give back what you stole? Nope. He said, I must come to your house today. Even though you're a great sinner and a social outcast, I insist on showing you love. While we insist on our own agendas, Jesus insists on showing us love. That's who he is. He's love. And so that's what he does. He loves us. Even the outcasts. Even the great sinners. And then it says, Zacchaeus received Jesus joyfully, and he stood up and said to Jesus, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So unlike what Vincent van Gogh experienced, Jesus insisted on accepting Zacchaeus as he was, and it turned him inside out. But there's one more thing I want to pinpoint in these few verses in Luke 19. In verse 8, Zacchaeus calls Jesus Lord, which in the original language means master. Master. And Jesus, after that, refers to himself as the Savior. So Jesus is many things to many people. 
But to his disciples, he's our Savior and he's our Master. On the cross, Jesus made his followers right before God. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So Jesus saved us from hell. Hell is eternal condemnation, eternal rejection. That's what he saved us from on the cross. But what does Jesus insist on saving us for? What does he save us for? Salvation is not just a good place you go when you die. Salvation is a life, Willard says famously. Salvation is a life. It's learning to live the way Jesus would live if he were you. That's what salvation is all about. Yes, he saved us from hell, but he saved us so that we could live like him. So that we can learn from the master about how to love well and to get the focus off of ourselves and onto others and onto God as we were designed to live. That show, The Good Place, is, is so insightful because Eleanor, as you saw in that clip, she starts you know, trying to be good by wanting an easy, quick fix. You know, what, what pill do I have to take? What, can I, is there something I can vape? <laughs> but as the show goes along, Eleanor um, becomes the kind of person who does good. And the way she does is by recruiting a loving teacher to teach her how to do good. That's who Chidi was. She needed a teacher, a patient one. Disciple means learner. It means apprentice of a master. And so, for instance, uh, the best way for me to learn uh, how to be a carpenter, which I am not, I am not, the best way for me to become a woodworker is not to go to Home Depot, buy some two-by-fours, and go to town on my wall. The best way for me to learn how to be a carpenter is to call up my friend Ben Blackmar so he can teach me. He's, an, he's a woodworking professor. So he can teach me the ways of the woodworker. And if I'm going to learn how to throw pottery, which I can't. I need to ask one of our local potters in the church like Barbara A. Bear to help me, to teach me. I can't just get some clay and try to figure it out on my own. And if we want to know how to love well, we need to learn from the one who loved us all the way to the cross. We must spend our lives learning from the Master. But you might be thinking, look, Zacchaeus had a little bit easier than I do, than we do. Jesus came to his house. Jesus showed up in the flesh. What about us? If only Jesus would come to my house, then perhaps I could take the focus off myself. In John 16, uh, Jesus says that it's to our advantage that he goes away that he depart and leave us to enter heaven. How could it be to our advantage that our Savior and Master departs? How? 
How is that logical? On Tuesdays at noon, several of us at Grace have been discussing uh, this wonderful book by Dane Ortland. Um, it's called Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. I cannot recommend that book enough. Uh, I'm such a nerd about it now. Um, and in one place, he quotes this Puritan uh, from the 17th century by the name of Thomas Goodwin. And he reflected on this passage from John 16 where Jesus said, it's it's better for me to depart and, and leave you so that I can send another helper, the Holy Spirit. And this is what he says. It's a little bit longer quote, but I want you to listen in. The Holy Spirit shall be a better comforter unto you than I am to be. He shall tell you, if you will listen to him and not grieve him, nothing but stories of my love all his speech in your hearts will be to advance me and to greaten my worth and love unto you. And it will be his delight to do it. So that you shall have my heart as surely as if I were with you. He will tell you when I am in heaven that there is as true a conjunction between me and you and as true a dearness of affection in me towards you as is between my Father and me, and that it as, is as impossible to break this knot and to take off my heart from you as my Father's from me. Because of the presence of the Holy Spirit, Jesus' love is told to your heart over and over and over again. Because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your heart, Jesus can't take his heart off of you any more than the Father can take his heart off of Jesus. Because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your heart, Jesus' heart and yours are bound in an unbreakable knot. I love that image. I hate knots. Oh, I usually just end up cutting them, get so frustrated, but he says it's unbreakable. You can't cut it. That's his heart and yours because of the Spirit. Jesus' heart and yours, unbreakable. You see, if the law was sufficient to save us, Jesus would never have had to come. But hear me. If it were sufficient for us to merely know intellectually that Jesus loves me, the Holy Spirit would never have had to come. Rest in that today. If you take nothing else away, you need to know the gospel, friends. I need to know the scriptures. You need to know 1 Corinthians 13. Amen. But you need the Holy Spirit to make it real. And by faith, He lives in you. So don't pretend like you don't need Him. Don't pretend like He's not in you. He is. And so if you're lacking love this morning, ask him to fill you up. He's got plenty for you. He can't run out of love for you. So if you're cold, if your heart is cold today, ask him to fill you up. Romans 5.5 5 says that the Holy Spirit, we, we saw it earlier, the Holy Spirit pours the love of God into your heart. 
He pours it in. He saturates your heart with his love. That's his job. One of his jobs is to pour God's love in your heart until it permeates every square inch of your life. Until it saturates all of your dispositions. All of your thoughts. Your attitude. And yes, your actions. That's his job. That's his work. God wants you to feel his love wash over you. Not just to know it intellectually, but to feel it. That's why he sent the Spirit to come and to live in you. That we would become those who worship in spirit and in truth. That's what Jesus came to do. That's why he sent his Spirit. I'm borrowing a friend's illustration, <clears throat> Craig Lotz. Um, anyway, but when you're in a, a bakery, say Owl Bakery up in West Asheville in my neighborhood, when you're there even for just a few minutes, you could walk in there smelling like B.O. And you're walking out of there smelling like the best croissants you've ever had in your life. It doesn't matter what you smelled like before. You're coming out of there smelling like wonderful, delicious, baked goods. And I wanted to just, as I close, three obvious places to be permeated, to be saturated with the love of Christ. First place, you're in it. And you're logged on to it. Corporate worship. To be reminded, oh yeah, I forgot how much God loves me. Oh yeah, we just, we're going to sing in just a moment about the deep love of the Father. I needed to hear that. You need to be told how much God loves you, how much you need Him every week. That's one place. Second, your own private time with Jesus. To listen to His Word, to read and to pray. Asking the Spirit to saturate your life with the love of God. That's the second place. You need that every day. And the third we need a third place with other, with other Christians who are also aiming to grow as disciples, apprentices of Jesus. And so that could be a men's group at Grace. It could be a women's group. Uh, it could be one of our book discussions. It could be our prayer gatherings. But hear me out. If, it doesn't, if, if something on our website, something we're doing during the week doesn't fit your needs, reach out to me. Let's get creative. I want to help you grow. There's lots of people in this church that say, I'm too busy to join that and that group. So let's start something, if we need to, to help us grow in the way of Jesus together. Before I pray, I, I want us to look one more time at Vincent van Gogh's Starry Night. May this serve as just a vivid reminder of the urgent need for us to show and to share to be the aroma of Christ for a world literally dying for the love of God. That we would accept people as they are, trusting that Jesus' love will never, ever leave them that way. Let's pray together. Father, you call yourself the Father of mercies, Your mercy 
is directed towards sinners and sufferers. That is your heart. And you sent your Son. You gave your Son. So that whoever believes in your Son would have eternal life. The abundant life. A life of love. And you sent your Spirit to dwell in our hearts. To unzip us and live inside of us. So that we can know your heart so that we could emulate the life of your Son together. So permeate us with your love today. And may we share it. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. Um, before you go, here's a, here's a good word, a benediction. Now may the love of the Son who sought not His own will, but the will of of the God, uh, of the Father, be poured into your hearts by the Holy Spirit. That we may seek not our own good, but the good of our neighbor, to the praise of his glorious grace. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful week.